Mevach. Thank you for all those that put all the time and effort to set this up, and I'm sure a lot of work went into it. I know that a lot of work went into it, but I don't know how much. So hopefully this will be the beginning of many get-togethers that the women will have to be able to get inspired from each other and create camaraderie and unity, friendship, which obviously, obviously everybody needs. <coughs> I want to share an idea, if I may, for a couple of minutes, which I think is really the foundation of Purim, and at the same time, also the foundation of what's being established here tonight. All of you are here, nobody was forced to come, because you, choose, you chose, and you choose this place as, as the place you dive in, or the place that you frequent, or come by maybe infrequently, but still call it a shul where your children are inspired. And I think that to understand what that means, I think sometimes it gets lost on people. It's a shul, you come to Davin and you go home. It's nice. But obviously we're trying to create something way more than just a shul where you Davin and Yotze your creates. I'm going to get a lot of something more that we're trying to create. And obviously, you, have, you play a very important role in that, whether for yourself or for your daughters, your sons, and even for your husbands. The first passage in, in Megillah introduces us to And it says about him that he was king, Mehoidu Viat Kush. Two places. You want to translate it in English? English? Today they translate it as India to Ethiopia. So if it's literally India to Ethiopia, we know it's a vast area of land. It almost encompasses the entire place where human civilization at that point was was living. But when you open the Gemara, the Gemara seems to have a machlekes of what Haidu is and what Kush is. And the machlekes plays itself out as Chad Omar, two opinions, Rav and Shmuel. Chad Omar doesn't tell us who holds what. One holds Haidu and Kush are very far from each other. Like we just said, for example, in India and Ethiopia, which is a big piece of land that Achashverosh ruled over. Because I'll bring another opinion. Haidu and Kush are actually two countries that are right near each other. And he was king over Haidu and Kush, which is very unexciting when you're trying to bring an explanation into who Achashverosh was and how powerful he was to say that he was he was king over Spring Valley Amunsi. It's not a very impressive thing to say. And that's essentially what one opinion the Gemara holds. And the Gemara is bothered by that. And the Gemara says, no. Obviously he was king over a vast area of land. But what it means to say is, just like he was king over Spring Valley Amunsi, Hoidu and Kush, which are right near each other, so too he had such a power over those areas, he had power over the entire world as well. So, obviously he was king over a very big piece of land, 127 countries. At that point in history there was about 210 countries. So about half the world was under his domain, even though Chazal tells us he was king over the whole world. Maybe he was initially and then he lost some different opinions of how, what exactly happened. He was definitely a king over a large area. But, But obviously, when you read the Purim story, you're not supposed to understand it anymore like you heard it in third grade. And every year the Purim story has to grow on you. 
And it can't be that the Torah tur- is telling us a story that he was king from Haidu to Kush and was supposed to say, oh wow, interesting. Where's Haidu? I'm not sure. Kush? Also, right. It has to be something that grows along with us. And the entire story has to grow with us. I want to focus on these two words. The root of the word Haidu is very easy to see, is Haid, which is beauty, beautiful, splendor. When something has a, a radiance to it, a shine to it, it's called the Haid of something. It also has other meanings as well, and actually they're all interconnected, thanking and praising and all those words. But really, literally, a Haid is a, is a splendor, it's beauty. Kush has the Chazal, the exact opposite connotation. Chazal want to bring out something that's not pretty. Chazal will say Kikushi, a Kikushi. When we're saying that Achashverosh ruled over Haidu Tel Kush, what we're saying is he ruled over, he had so much control, from the most beautiful to the most, not, not as beautiful. Are we politically correct today? They say not as beautiful. But what does that mean? What, what's the message for us? The message is that there's many people in life that they see their haidu, their beauty, sometimes the other end of the world of their kush. Meaning when they're in a place of kush, when they're in a place of darkness, in a place of not beautiful, they feel like their haidu, their beauty, is so far away. It's like, can't even, it's not even the same person almost. It's a different world. It's a different place. But there are some people that live that haidu and kush are right near each other. Yeah, maybe a minute ago, I couldn't control myself and I said that Lashon Hara. A minute ago, I couldn't control myself and I lost my temper at my child. But Haidu is literally right around the corner. I, I could move right past that in a minute from now. I don't have to think that it's so far apart. It's worlds away. And sadly, many of us live with both these emotions and we have, we have to learn how to balance these emotions. At times, we feel so alone and so beat up that we think, how could it be? I do. I do so. I wish, but it's it's so far away. But something that I personally, and I'm sure you could ask your husbands, one of the very big things that I push and present is that Haidu and Kush are really very close to each other. In fact, because I'll say, even if you say it was very far, but it was like you ruled over it, like Spring Valley to Muncie in our example, it was really really close to each other. And this is something that I try to teach, it's one of the, I think, most important things that we can teach in this generation, is that even in your moment of kush, in the moment of hardship and darkness, and not looking that beautiful, it's literally just right around the corner from Haydn. It doesn't take that much. It's just a mindset. Essentially, this is a Purim story, because what does Amalek represent? And therefore, future generations was Haman, and then it was also, over the generations, diff- took on different formats. What's our problem with Amalek? That we're going to try to eradicate him, and hopefully one day succeed to eradicate him. The biggest problem that we have with Amalek is that when the whole world was so inspired, the whole world looked and saw how Hashem split the sea, and Kaisal came marching through, and the world superpower came crumbling down, and everybody was just ready to just yeah, I saw that. This is what I want to be part of. This is what it's all about. And the world was about to go through a revolution. Now, even 
people of Canaan knew Kaiso were coming. They were right. They were marching right in, and it was going to be the beginning of the end. But there was one people. There was one people that said, "Don't be so impressed. Don't be so impressed. I can show you that there's some ugliness that I can expose, and you'll see they're not so impressive." And sadly, he was successful. He exposed some of our not so holy parts. He attacked us in our weakest moments. He got us in the weakest moments. He blindsided us. All those that were in the Cheshalem, that were falling away to the side. He didn't attack Meshur Rabbeinu. He didn't attack Koli Ben Yifuna. He knew that those were people that he couldn't get a hold of. He attacked those that were hanging out outside the Ananiya Kovit. Or those that were hanging outside Shul by davening. He knew those are the people that you can catch. Because they're feeling they're in their moment of kush. And if he can get you then, he has a grasp on you. Haman understood that as well. And in every generation, Amalek hasn't been wiped out because Amalek still exists. There might not be a, a nation that we can define and say, there is. But there's a mentality. The mentality of Amalek that there's a weak part of me, and that part is, is weak. It's so far from Haidu. It's so far from it. And obviously, to be very careful, because with, with therapy today, a lot of it is, is based on, yeah, your father was like that, and your grandfather was like that, so you'd probably be like that too also. And that's a little bit like, a, like an Amalek statement. That you have that in you because you can't help it. Because, yeah, this is, you know, this is a weak moment, this is a weak part of you. But we as Kaisal, we fight that. We say there's nothing that, that we have that we can't, we can't change and we can't fix. And this is the battle that we constantly are battling against Amalek. And in fact, now maybe the battle is a lot stronger than it ever was. Because the world will try to tell us that, okay, you were born like this. You were born with these natures. You can't help it. You can't change it. You have this because you're a Holocaust survivor's anical. Or you have this because your grandparents were on the run in Romania. Or whatever other reasons they'll tell you that why you have certain traits. And this is what it is. Just live with it. But Kaisal says, no, we're better. We're stronger than that. Our Kushtar Ahoydu can be really, like, literally a minute away. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not suggesting it just it happens like that. But it doesn't mean that we're worlds apart. It literally just has to be uncovered. It's, it's literally from, like, going from Spring Valley to Muncie. At least when I was a kid, Spring Valley. This one was a different story. They're going from literally from the dark, literally going from the place where it's run down and it's cheap and it's disgusting and it's drug, and then go to a place where there's Torah and there's Tefillah and there's Yiddishkeit and Kashrus. It's, it's that it's, that changes that quickly. There's a story that there was a, a child. Obviously, children ask the best questions because they don't have any filters yet. In a way, it makes us uncomfortable, but in a way, obviously, the, the most truth comes out. And a child, sort of Ari Levine, walking down the street, and he asked some Talmudim or people around him, and the child, with some of your Shalmi, chutzpah, taps Ari Levine on, his, on the shoulder, Ari Levine turns around, and the kid says, Is it true that you're a Laman of Tzadik? Only a kid can ask a question like that. Everybody's just squirming and feeling so uncomfortable. Poor Ari Levine. Ravine looks at the kid and thinks for a minute. And he says, sometimes I am. And you can also. 
A lot, we like to think that a lot of tzaddik is somebody, somebody in the world is a lot of tzaddik. Every one of us can be a lot of tzaddik. Sometimes we are. Sometimes our hudud and kush are so close that we can turn around on a dime and say, you know what, from, from now on I'm stopping. And they make that commitment. Even if they eventually stumble, but they make that commitment. That moment, he's a lot of tzaddik. She's a lot of tzaddik. I don't know if that exists, but I'm assuming. <laughs> And you can too, tell the child. And that's something that I keep trying to tell the children. And I keep trying to tell myself and the adults in the room and the child within us that you can too. There's a story during the Holocaust as the Germans were realizing that, that they couldn't accomplish everything they wanted to accomplish and they were on the way back and they so we're marching back into Germany. So the Blue Rebbe, Saul Shapiro, already in the camps, he was known as a tzaddik and a special person. And there was a not from Jew that was in the camps with him. And in the beginning, there was a lot of animosity between the not from and the from. I'll interrupt the story with a statement that the Kozumberger Rebbe, when they asked him, what he remembers about the Holocaust, he says, the thing I miss about the Holocaust? He says, no, no, what do you remember about the Holocaust? And he said again, you want to know what I miss about the Holocaust? So the person realized, the third time you're not going to make him say it. So he's like, yeah, what do you miss about the Holocaust? He said, I miss that we didn't look at each other and judge each other. We were all just yidin. And in the camps, this yid, back to our story, the Bush of Rebbe, they started out, there was a little bit of friction because he couldn't handle it. See, the Shereb was in the same camp as him, and he was this, whatever he was, I don't know, Hungarian Jew, or German Jew, but a secular, educated Jew. And in the beginning, it started out with a lot of tension, but eventually, when you, real, when you re- meet real people, when you see greatness, all those things just eventually just fall away. And they, they actually created a very strong connection and a bond. And they worked a lot together. But it came, as the Russians were coming closer, they pulled out their whole barracks. They told them to start digging a trench. And they didn't know that this was the end. They were going to start shooting them into the pit, like happened in so many different places in so many different camps. And they made the Jews dig their own graves, and they would line them up. But this time, the Nazis, the Amalekim of our generation, decided that they wanted to have a little fun at the Jewish Jews' expense. And they said, now, there's some people that can still survive. And it's very simple. You have to be able to jump over the trench. Now the trench was, I heard two different versions, it was large. It was not humanly feasible to jump over the trench from one side to the other. And the secular Jew turns to the Blue Reverend and says, I guess this is it. We have to say our goodbyes. And the Blue Reverend says, absolutely not. Of course not. We're going to jump over the trench. He says, Rebbe, it's impossible. You can't jump over this trench. And he says, of course it's possible. Everything is possible when a Jew puts his mind to it. He says, you think so? He says, yeah. I want you to believe when you're going to jump that you're going to be able to make it across. Can you do that favor for me? And the second lead said, yeah. That's all he has. 
But they all started jumping across, and sadly, one after one, the other, they fell into the pit, and they were shot dead. Except two people made it across the trench. The Bujavir Ebo, and this individual. And when he got across, he turned to the Bujavir Ebo, he says, how do you do it? I said, what do you mean? On the schutz of my grandparents, I jumped, and I got across. It was simple. But the Rebbe says, but the real question is, how did you do it? And the Yid said, because the schutzim of you, I had you in mind when I jumped across. And that's how I made it. In our lifetime, we go through many different trenches that we have to jump over. And many of us say, it's just not possible. It's impossible. We can't, we can't get across. If, I guess it's time to say goodbye. We've been written off. It's over. We can't, we can't make it. Chaisal's been written off so many times. We can't make it across this trench. It's impossible. Look. And physically, maybe naturally, it's talking impossible. Naturally, what do you do when you come to a body of water and you can't go across it? Not sure, but not walk through it. And the whole world saw that we walked through it. And everybody was impressed. I'm all like, like I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. He starts questioning. Could it happen? Could it not happen? That Amalek is in us, and it makes us question ourselves sometimes. Can I? Can I make it across the trench? I don't know, if you hold on, if you believe. If you believe you can, you will. Your Haidu and your Kush are not that far. But when you're going through your Kush moment, you have to realize it. It's literally around the corner. And I think that one of the core reasons why people sometimes get past their kush, their hard moments, their dark moments, is because they have a base, they have an anchor. It's at home. It's at chul. It's by the charuso. It's something that connects them to what's real in life. Because when you're going through, whatever you're going through in life, if you don't have a place that you can call, this is where I'm anchored and where I'm settled, and this is where I get my rejuvenation, I'm connected to, this is my hoidu, and if there's no hoidu, then the kush stays kush. You have to have a place that shines, that's beautiful. Whether it's your or it's davening, or it's your you come to learn, or your you come to davening. And for many of the men, as hard as it is for them to admit it to your face, it's their wife. They won't say it, so they ask me to say it to you. It's their wife. That's their anchor. They come home, and the wife is there, and making sure that everything is stable in their life. But they're not home all the time. They need to go to shul to daven, they need to go to shul to learn. And the wife also needs an anchor. Sometimes they feel like they're everybody else's anchor, but they're not so strong. And therefore we created this Malavah Malcolm and created this place that it's not, it's not a one-time event. Maybe this time it's a Malavah Malcolm, maybe next time it's a different thing, an outing, or whatever it is, where the anchors can get together and have from each other. And therefore, when they go home and they're the anchor that they are at home, their husbands and their children, and their life, their marriage, their Yiddishkeit, is a place where it's stable, where when the trenches come, they can, they're can able to jump over it. When the cushions show up, they're able to say, oh, it's not that far away, we can, we can make it, it's not that big a deal. We just have to get past this, we have to turn around, when we turn around, we'll be in Haidu. That's all it takes. That's the message of Purim. But the way we get through that 
the way we get through that is a very, there's a lot of hardship to get to that. But one of the ways to get through that is having a unit. Gathering everybody together, as Esther suggested. That's the way we can get through the, the trenches, the hard times that we go through. Now, I'm all like laughing at us and saying that you can. But the answer is you can. And every one of us is a lot of tzaddik, sometimes. And you can too. And that's the message you need to bring home. That's the message that really is what we try to bring out in shul. That's my, I'll use the word job. But I need equal partners. Because when they come home, they can get lost. And you're my partners. Because whatever I tell them in shul, if they come home and it's, it's chaos and it's not working, so then it's not, it doesn't go anywhere. So we need to get together every once in a while, everybody, all the anchors and all the, all the people that hold down our community, that hold down our shul, and that hold down our husbands and our children and our Yiddishkeit together in a place to get together by achas. That's the suggestion that Esther Malcolm made. I'm not saying it's the only time that a husband took a woman's advice, but it's the one time that definitely one of the times that a woman's advice was given, and all the men were like, yeah, that's a great idea. Leish Kanais is called Yehudim, let's follow that. And therefore, we're starting here tonight with Leish Kanais, not Skala Yehudim, but Skala Nashim. But together, the women are able to get to know each other sometimes. Some of the women I've heard that they don't even know each other, they don't even see each other. They get to know each other, get to communicate, have a place so that they know that this is their home, this is their base. These are the people that together their children are learning with, or maybe fighting with. You have to get to know those faces also, because that's sadly what happens. But again, when there's a good anchor at home, everything will be fine. Because these are all cush moments, and we all have those moments. But as long as you have a place to come back to, which is good and healthy, everything will work well. And therefore, it's my bracha, and my feel at the same time. But just like this beautiful event was arranged, so too there should be many beautiful events arranged. Together, the, the women... If you have other ideas and suggestions of times and places of how it can be done, nobody has a monopoly on what's a good idea. And therefore, share it. Share it with the people that can do it and want to help arrange it or for, or for your assistance, whether it's time, or for your assistance, whether it's ideas, or for your assistance, whether it's money or connections that you have. And make sure that everybody, the anchors also need a place to get out. On a Matzah Shabbos, the women also need a place that they're able to go to Vamala Malcolm. There's no reason why the men get to go, and the boys get to go, and the girls, and the women don't. So, what's wrong with having a Lava Malka? What's wrong with having a Sunday breakfast? What's wrong with having a, I don't know, whatever it is, a, a get-together, they, they go out on a Rishchidosh. These are all just ideas that I'm putting out there, but that has to happen in order for everybody to feel that they're together in the same Avodah Hashem of making sure that we defeat the Amalek within us and within Klai as a whole. Thank you for listening. Thank you.